All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Mark. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 28. Mark has introduced his gospel in the first little chunk of chapter 1, and he did so by jumping right into the very beginnings. John the Baptist is the promised forerunner. Jesus comes from Nazareth and down to the Jordan River and is baptized by him. Uh, The Spirit of God descends on Jesus, anoints him for ministry, and then leads him off into the wilderness where he's tested and tempted by the devil, and he's tested for 40 days during that time. We noted that uh, one of the themes of that testing that isn't as emphasized in Mark as it is in the other Gospels, but one of the themes is, is that just as Israel went into the wilderness to be tested, so Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested, and Jesus succeeds where Israel failed. Well, after those 40 days of temptation and testing were over, Jesus seemingly returns to Jerusalem or to the towns in and around Jerusalem, and then Mark just kind of again, pushes fast forward, cuts to a new scene in the ministry of Jesus. And he says this, Mark chapter one, verse 14 says, now after John, that is John the Baptist, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believed the gospel. So Jesus had been down south in the wilderness of Judea where he was baptized, where he was tested for 40 days. Mark now uh, cuts to a new scene, and the new scene happens in Galilee. Galilee is up north. Galilee is where Nazareth is. It's, it's where Jesus had grown up, and it becomes really the focal point of Jesus's ministry, especially his early ministry. All happens around the Sea of Galilee and in the towns of Galilee. And so Mark cuts there and says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. That is, he's announcing the good news of what God is doing, what God is up to. And the summary of his preaching of the gospel is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is God's reign. When you hear the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel, it refers to God's kingship or God's rule and reign. And even though God is already king and God already reigns over all the universe, Israel had been under foreign rule for six centuries. And the nations themselves were under the power of false gods. So the Old Testament prophets had promised that someday after the exile, someday God would return to his people and he would reestablish his kingship, his rule, his reign. Well, when Jesus says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying it's finally happening. What you have longed for, what you have hoped for, what you have looked forward to and pray for God's kingship to come, well, it's coming in and through Jesus himself. And so repent, which means change your mind and turn around, go the opposite direction and believe this good news, believe the gospel. And we noted in our last recording that the gospel has more to do with Jesus being king and then our response to that than about a plan of salvation. It's not that the plan of salvation isn't there. It's that the plan of salvation is more the response. It's the repent and believe the good news part of the gospel. It's how we respond to the good news that God is 
taking control of the world again in and through Jesus as king. So Jesus comes and he's preaching this message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Then Mark uh, tells a couple specific snapshots of Jesus calling his early disciples to gather around him. So the first one has to do with Peter and his brother. Look at verse 16. As he, Jesus, was going along the Sea of Galilee. So he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And so they're fishing in the traditional manner of casting out a net into the sea. Maybe they're fishing from the shore. Maybe they're in their boats. It seems as if it's on the shore here. And Jesus sees them, and Jesus calls them. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And so here's Jesus calling his first disciples. Now, if all we had was Mark's gospel, we would think that this was Peter and Andrew's first contact with Jesus. But from John's gospel, we know that they first met Jesus and initially followed him down in Judea where John the Baptist was doing his thing. That's where they met Jesus. And they were there when Jesus was baptized and they initially followed him right around that time period. Since then, Jesus has gone into the wilderness for a month and a half to be tested and fasted and all that. They've returned to Galilee and they're fishing up there. Well, here comes Jesus. He sees them and he extends to them more of a formal call to be his disciples, which in and of itself is fascinating because usually the way this works would be a a would-be disciple would ask a rabbi if he could join him and be his disciple. Here, however, Jesus calls them, and guess what? They don't hesitate. It says they leave their nets, and they follow him immediately. And their nets represent their livelihood. They're fishermen. That's who they are. But they are dropping their nets, they're leaving their livelihood, and they immediately follow Jesus. Mark goes on and says this, verse 19, And going on a little farther... He, Jesus, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And so here's James and John. They're fishermen as well. They're in the boats with their father, Zebedee, and they're mending the nets. That is, they're cleaning their nets, uh, fixing any strands in the nets that are broken, getting their nets all sorted out and straight and ready for the next time they go fishing, uh, probably that evening. And so it's probably morning here. They fished all night. And so they're prepping their nets for the next time they're going to go out and fish all night. Well, Jesus sees them and immediately, verse 20, he called them as well. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went away to follow him. And so he calls them, and immediately they leave their, and Mark notes, their father. With Peter and Andrew, he mentioned the nets, which was their livelihood. Here it's their father, which emphasizes, again, Jesus' authority, even over their father and over their family business, which in the ancient world is a huge deal, right? Um, So they leave their father and their family business, and they follow Jesus. Also notice that they leave their father in the boat with the hired men, which suggests that their fishing business was quite prosperous, doing well, that their family had some wealth. They leave that behind to follow Jesus. The next snapshot then that Mark gives us is uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath. In fact, verse 21 begins 
what is presented as one long day of ministry. It starts uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and then it extends all day long, actually into the evening, overnight, to the next day. And so here's what happens. Uh, verse 21, they went into Capernaum. And so they, they went to Capernaum, which is probably the city where uh, James and John and Andrew and Peter were fishing near, somewhere near there. And so they move into the city. Capernaum becomes the headquarters for Jesus's ministry. It's a city on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, and it's actually a pretty strategic location for Jesus. It was near the border of several political regions. It actually sat near or right on the international highway, and as a result, it had a customs office, uh, had a military presence of the Romans. Uh, there were Jews in town. There were Gentiles there, and they interacted together. It's a strategic location for him to call disciples and to train them about, really, his vision of international ministry. And so he has relocated to Capernaum, and they go there. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. Now, Mark rarely has extended blocks of Jesus' teaching. He's got a few, but not tons, but he frequently notes Jesus as a teacher. This is one of those occasions. He's in the synagogue, and he began to teach. And it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. It's the day of rest and worship for the Jews. And so they are in the synagogue on the Sabbath day for the Sabbath gathering. And the synagogue was the gathering place of the people in town where they would gather to pray and read the scriptures on the Sabbath. That's where we're at. Uh, you can actually see pictures of the remains of the synagogue in Capernaum which is where we're at, although it's a later synagogue built after the time period of Jesus, but it's built on the actual site of the synagogue from Jesus' day. I'll put some pictures of it in the study hub so that if you're a member of the study hub, you can check that out um, and see what the at least the, the ruins of the synagogue as it now stands look like. So there's Jesus in the synagogue. He's beginning to teach. And verse 22, they were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not like the scribes. The scribes were some of their religious experts. Sometimes that word is translated lawyers, but that really doesn't do us well because we think of lawyers in a courtroom and all that. These were experts in the Jewish law, meaning the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the Pentateuch. They had studied it. They wrestled with the details of it. They thought through the, the, the applications of it. They came up with traditions about the best way to apply it. That's who they are. And so what this is saying is Jesus is teaching as one having authority, not like their scribes. And one of the ways that his authority shows up is through his power to perform miracles and cast out demons. And that's actually going to shape Mark's story for the next several chapters. Mark will mention Jesus' authority several times because that's going to be a really important theme in these next sequence of stories. And his authority is closely connected to his power, as I noted, to work miracles and to cast out demons. It's not just power, it's authority. Remember, Jesus is the king. He has authority over all things, including disease, including the dark spiritual powers. So when he teaches, his teaching comes with a level of authority that they had not experienced before, and they're amazed by it. Mark then actually turns immediately to give us a snapshot 
of this authority. Look at verse 23. He says, just then. So there's Jesus in the synagogue. He's teaching. The people are amazed at the way he's teaching because it's not like quoting this tradition and this rabbi and that. He's just teaching it as it is with authority. And then his authority is backed up by his, his power. And so just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. That phrase, unclean spirit, refers to a demon. The idea of unclean is probably that of making the man ritually unclean. And so there he is in the synagogue. Maybe he hasn't been there for a while. Who knows? Maybe he's been there covertly. Not sure. But on this particular Sabbath, he's in the synagogue. Jesus is speaking with authority. The demon within this man is triggered and stirred up by Jesus' teaching and Jesus' authority. And so now the demon, the unclean spirit in this man, cries out, speaking through the man. And this is what he says. There's a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, And so notice the demon within this man knows who Jesus is. He actually calls him by name, Jesus of Nazareth, and title, the Holy One of God. Um, And that's likely an attempt to to claim power over him in some sense, to to claim control over him, because that was the thought of the world at the time. If you could name a spirit, right, you had control over the spirit. Um, And so this is an attempt, it seems, by the unclean spirit to see if he has authority over Jesus. And so the demon within this man is challenging Jesus. How does Jesus respond? We'll look at verse 25. After Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, come out of him. And so Jesus rebukes the spirit, telling him to be silent and immediately just commands him to come out of the man. No incantation, no formula, right? Like no sort of preliminaries, just come out of him. And what happens? Verse 26, after throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of the man at just Jesus's command. He has so much authority. He just tells the demon what to do. And the demon has to obey because Jesus has that kind of authority. A couple details to note here. The first is this. This is the first time in the entire Bible that a demon has been cast out of a person. Truly, God's kingdom, his rule, his reign is coming in and through Jesus. Jesus has the authority to command those rebellious, evil spirits, and they have to listen to his command, and they have to obey. That's important. The other little detail to notice is that, notice, Jesus says, be quiet. And his command to be quiet is, I think, because of two reasons. One, he doesn't want a demon to be announcing his identity, right? Like who wants a demon to be their press agent? You don't want a a demon to be the one to kind of give you uh, any publicity. So that's one reason. I also think the other reason is Jesus isn't ready for a full disclosure of who he is. He's got work to do over the next several years. And Jesus himself will choose when he's ready uh, to announce his identity. And Jesus will choose who he's ready to do it on. So he's going to announce his identity on his terms, not the demon's terms. So he tells him to be quiet. He commands him to come out. And the demon has to. He submits and he obeys Jesus. And the people are amazed by Jesus' authority. Look at verse 27. And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, 
What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And that's the shocking thing. This is, this is not known, that someone could just bark an order to an unclean spirit, and it has to submit. Truly, Jesus has unique power, unique authority. And so all the people are wondering, what's going on? What does this mean? What, what is happening? And the result of that was that the word about Jesus began to spread all throughout Galilee, verse 28, immediately. The news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding region of Galilee. So throughout all the little towns and all the little villages and all the little uh, population places, people are sharing the word. Have you heard about this, this rabbi up there in Capernaum and he's teaching, he commands demons and they have to listen to him. And so the word about him is spreading all throughout the countryside. Now, before we leave this section, again, just a couple reflections uh, for us to think about. The first is this, the authority of Jesus and the call of discipleship. Notice that Mark tells the story of the calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John starkly. He just, boom, cuts to that scene. Jesus called. They left everything. They left family behind, and they followed him. As the king of God's kingdom, Jesus' call to follow him entails a radical choice. Are you in or are you out? No half measures will do. And that's the call of discipleship. You don't have to have it all figured out. These guys definitely didn't, right? We'll, we'll watch over the next few chapters as Mark tells the story that these guys don't get Jesus. They don't understand what he's talking about. They don't understand the way it's going to play out. Jesus is, is constantly having to correct them and point out ways their thinking is messed up. So they don't have it all figured out which means you don't have to have it all figured out to be a disciple. You just have to actually decide, I'm going to go with Jesus and follow him, and he's going to be my rabbi, and I'm going to learn from him. And so they left their old loyalties behind. They left their old lives behind to follow Jesus, the king. That's the call of discipleship. The second reflection here is the idea of the spiritual worldview. Mark just expects that followers of Jesus will have the same spiritual worldview as Jesus, that spiritual powers are real realities, and that Jesus is coming to put them on notice. The king is here, and their days are numbered. So if we're going to have the same worldview as Jesus and the gospel, we need to believe that Jesus is liberating people from dark spiritual powers who have enslaved them for a long, long time that those powers are real, that they infect people, that they affect the world, and that Jesus has supreme authority even over them. And that when he commands, they have to listen because Jesus is the one true king. That's the point of his authority.